It's going to be a little warm when we walk out. I just feel it in my bones. It's going to be a little warm. Man, I hope you guys had a great week. Hope you guys joining with us online had a great week as well. Man, this has been a very eventful week for me. This past week, uh, I was spent three days in New Orleans um, at Bethany Church uh, at their New Orleans campus. Uh, I'm a part of a network with Bethany Church that's led by uh, our overseers, Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Wayne. Uh, they have this initiative they call Bethany at All Access, where it's a network of pastors all over the country. And it was a little over 40 of us. We were there for three days, Monday through Wednesday. And we were there just encouraging one another, getting poured into, worshiping with one another. And it was highlighted uh, on Tuesday morning, we went into the marsh to go red fishing. So we caught some red fish, some treckle spout, uh, some treckle spout, uh, I'm, I'm getting it mixed up, speckled trout. I was like, what am I doing? Some speckled trout. And uh, no, but it was real good. But for me, it was not a good experience at all. So Monday night, we had dinner at the church, and the food was great. And then when I got back to the hotel room uh, Monday night, I just didn't feel very well. And there was some beef, I guess, that I guess it wasn't cooked well enough. So I felt sick, and I was sick the whole night. I didn't even go to sleep. And so we had to be at the church at 5 a.m., uh, to, it was about an hour's drive uh, to, to the dock where we were launching out of. And the, the whole drive there, I'm like, man, I do not feel well at all. This is, this is this not going to be good. I think I should just ask them to pray for me because I don't feel well. But I was like, you know what? Maybe if I start moving around, I'll be okay. And so we get out there. And by the time we set to where we're going a little bit out, it's about, at this point, it's about, 7 o'clock, I guess, 6.45, 7, something like that. And we start casting lines, and we're not catching anything, so we move different spots. And, and then this, by this time, it's about 8.30, 9 o'clock, and the sun's starting to come out, and it's getting really hot. And all of a sudden, I'm like, man, I feel real tired. And I'm like, okay, but I'm just pushing through it. Then I catch my first fish, and I'm like, okay, this is this. And I'm like, I feel a little worse. And then all of a sudden, I remembered that I ate an orange for lunch, for breakfast. That's the only thing I had in my stomach. And then and all of a sudden, in a matter of seconds, that orange was swimming with the fishes. <laughs> and for the rest of the time we were out there, I was out. I, I got dehydrated out there in the water. Uh, the good thing we had cooler full of Gatorades, because I drank every single one of those Gatorades <laughs> that we had on the boat. And uh, but in it, in the all in the end, it was a great trip. Other than that, but uh, we had a fish fry that night. We got to eat some of that uh, speckled trout. See, I got it right that time. <laughs> and redfish, so it was great. But we we, did, we really did have a great time. And I got a chance to get a Hanson snowball, so that just made it even better. But uh, it was a good it was a good trip. Uh, so I hope you guys had a, a great week. And we just finished our series last week on Blueprints, Building on Wisdom. You guys, if you missed any of those messages, go back. You can watch them on Facebook, on our Facebook page. All the audio version of that is on our app and on our Spotify page, so you can catch up with any of those messages that you missed. But today, we're not starting a new sermon series. This is just a standalone message that I wanted to share with you guys. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The name of this message is called The Big Three. The Big Three. 
And we'll get into it in a moment. But I was thinking about big threes. You know, in sports, they always have the big three. Uh, they have, like, when LeBron was in Miami, it was him, D-Wade, and Chris Bosh. That was the big three. Boston had their big three, and Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen. And I was thinking about all the big threes, but I started thinking about things that pertain to all of us. I started thinking about what are the big three fast food chains? What are the top three fast food chains? And I did a little research, and these all are from last year for 2020 during the height of the pandemic. We're going to look at the top three fast food chains. Let's start at number three. What do y'all think was the number three fast food chain last year as far as uh, sales? We just talk about sales. Popeyes, Fusaklis. Now we got to think big now. The Fusaklis is local. Taco Bell. Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A came in at number three in the U.S., Chick-fil-A came in at number three in the U.S. in sales last year with $13 billion. They had $13 billion in sales last year alone. Who was number two? Now, I'm probably sure nobody's going to get this one. Who was number two? I'm going to just tell it to you because nobody's going to guess it. Starbucks. <laughs> Starbucks came in at number two with $18 billion in sales just last year. And number one should be easy. McDonald's. It's terrible, but it came in at number one. It came in at number one. They had $40 billion in sales last year just alone. So that's the, the fast food industries. Then I looked at the grocery industry, grocery store industries. Who came in at number three? Number three. Costco. Costco came in at number three at 103 billion in sales, and they had about 543 stores. That's pretty amazing. Who came in at number two? Kroger. Kroger. And I know there's no Kroger's here, but that don't mean they don't have stores. Because apparently they have 2,757 stores, and they accumulated 122 billion in sales last year. And number one, what's number one? Walmart, of course. Walmart had 4,756 stores, and they had $341 billion in sales just last year alone. Now, I'm disappointed in America when it comes to candy. Their candy choices are not that great to me. What's the number three most sold candy last year, you think? Hershey's Bar, a Hershey's Bar. They had $394 million in annual sales. What was number two, y'all think? See, you would think something like that would be number two, but it wasn't. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups come in at number two at $412 million in sales. And what was number one? See, you would think something like Snickers would be number one, but it wasn't. M&M's. M&M's came in at number one at 700 It doesn't say. It just said M&M's. Uh, 712 million in annual sales. So those were the big three in those industries. But Paul talks about a big three that we're going to highlight in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. We're going to start in verse 7, but let's just open up in prayer. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence. Thank you for ascending in this place and being with us today. Join us. Open up our hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 
1 through 7. This is a letter that Paul is writing to Timothy. And in it, he's given him some instructions on what to do. So this is going to be our main, our main text for the rest of our time. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, it says, This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God, our Savior in Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. I am writing to Timothy, my true son, in the faith. May God the Father and Jesus Christ, our Lord, give you grace, mercy, and peace. When I left Macedonia, I urged you to stay here in Ephesus and stop those who are teaching contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. The purpose of my instructions is that all believers will be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. Those three things, that's the big three right there. But some people have missed this point. They have turned away from these things and spent their time in meaningless discussions. In verse 7, they want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. So they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. You know, just because you speak confidently about something doesn't mean you know what you're talking about. Now, back in in the early 90s, uh, there was a show called In Living Color. And Damon Wayans played this character where he was in jail, and he studied the dictionary, and he would use all these big words, but they made absolutely no sense at all. And he would just start rambling on and talking. He was like, um, excuse me, uh, I would like to uh, pontificate my specifications of the anticipation of the uh, uh, fallopian tube. And, and he would just say all these things that you're like, what in the world is he talking about? But to him, he sounded intelligent because he used big words and he would be so confident about what he was speaking. But then at the end, it was said, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Stay in school. That was the whole point of it. It was like, stay in school, learn. Because this fool, obviously, it does not know what he's talking about. But the point is, is like, just because you're speaking passionately about something doesn't mean you know what you're talking about. And that's what Paul was, was warning Timothy. He was like, hey, there are some people that are they're speaking against the truth. They're, they're talking, and they seem like they're confident about what they're speaking about, but they have no idea what they're talking about. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 28, it says, Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. Their mouths shut, uh, keep, uh, with their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. So sometimes it's just better if you don't know what to say, just be quiet. Because you'll seem wise. But sometimes, you know, you just have to let people talk. And the more they talk, you realize they don't know what in the world they're talking about. They begin to just to talk, and they're trying to talk. And you have you ever been in a conversation with someone? They talk. You like, now I'm trying to figure out what in the world are they talking about? But they seem like they had it going on, and they telling you about this and that. And like, it doesn't make any sense at all. But what I love about this this text that we that we read is at the beginning, Paul he identified Timothy as a true son. He said, Timothy, my true son in the faith, which to me, it shows that he established a relationship 
with Timothy. And because he established that relationship with Timothy, he can speak confidently and give him instructions into his life. Because if he didn't have that relationship with Timothy, Paul's instructions to him would have seemed like they were control and like he didn't have a say. He'd have felt like, Paul, why are you trying to control me by telling me what to do? That's the approach Timothy would have had. But Paul said, no, this is my son. He identified him as a son. And so when, when, when we're in relationship with others, especially in the body of Christ, but more importantly, when it comes to our relationship with God, when God instructs us to do something, he's not doing it to control our lives. He's doing it because he's coming from a place of love. And when you establish a relationship with God, God begins to speak instructions to your heart. He begins to speak certain things to you that he's saying, hey, I'm just giving this to you as a caution. But if you don't establish that relationship with God, instructions from God can seem like control. And you're like, well, why does the Bible always talk about stuff like this? And this don't even make sense. And, and, what is, and for you, it can seem like control if you hadn't established that covenant relationship with the Lord. You know, to, uh, Camden is my daughter, and she knows I'm a daughter. And when I give her instruction, she knows it's coming from a place of authority and love, not out of control. But if I never spent any time with her, she would think, my daddy's just mean. He's always telling me no. He's always telling me this. But because I cultivated that relationship with her, she knows I'm coming from a place of love. And when God gives instruction, he always does it out of place of love. That's the same thing Paul was doing with Timothy. He was instructing him out of a place of love. And we'll get more into that as we read along. But some people feel like the louder they are, the more confident they are in what they're talking about. This is a true story that literally the first day I got saved, like I've been saved at this point for about 35, 40 minutes, we went out witnessing. And I'm like, this is crazy. I, like I'm, I just came to the church to get saved. I didn't expect to go out witnessing, but here we are. We're out in the fields, and we're out in the fields witnessing to people. And so we stumbled across this group of guys, and it was a stench in the air, if you will. And uh, they were smoking on some funny cigarettes, if you catch my drift. And so they were just sitting around, and we came up to, to witness to them and preach the gospel. And they said, oh, we with you. We preaching the gospel. We having church right here. We're just talking about God. And we're like, oh, really? And so they just be gone on and on and like, see, you can have church anywhere because God is in the midst of all of this. And it's like even in the midst of you smoking weed, God is it. Oh, yeah, God is right here in the midst. And they started talking. And he was one of the guys was so passionate about what he was talking about. And now I've been saved for 30 minutes. I'm like, this dude don't know what he's talking about because I know that's not the gospel. But the point is, is that just because you're talking about spiritual things in a passionate way doesn't make it true. And that's what Paul was like, Timothy, I'm telling you, these people, they sound spiritual. They sound like they're singing, saying spiritual things. Doesn't that sound like the times we're living in now? Well, people try to throw everything on God and mix a little God in and say, this is truth. You got to be careful. This is a warning that Paul is giving Timothy. And I feel like this is a warning that we should all heed to as well is that we have to be careful of the people that we're listening to that sound passionate, but what they're saying is far from the truth. Because the truth will always draw you closer to God, not further away. When you hear the truth of the word of God, it shouldn't make you question yourself and say, you know what, if that's the truth, I don't want any parts of that. 
But sadly, so many people are out there speaking passionately on social media about God, and they don't know what they're talking about, and it's causing people to draw further away from God and not closer to him. Because they said, if that's what Christianity is, I want no parts of that, because that, that, that's not something that I want. But Timothy, I'm sorry, Paul, he gives, he gives Paul, I'm sorry, Paul gives Timothy three things that stood out to me, and these are the big three. The first one, you can write it down. These are also on the app. If you're uh, taking notes, you can follow along with the notes there. The first thing he talked about is a pure heart. These are the big three. These are things that all of us should aspire to have. These are three things that we all need in our walk with the Lord. The first thing is a pure heart. A pure heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. If your heart is pure, that means your speech and conversations will not speak against the truth of the word of God. A person with a pure heart is pleasing to God and is motivated by a deep love for him. When your heart is pure for God, that means that you're motivated out of love to your relationship with God. So that means that every word, every conversation, everything that you do, you, you're, you're uh, motivated out of love to God. So you say, I have to do things to make sure that I'm not tainting my heart. I have to do things to make sure that I'm keeping a pure heart. Because when you desire to have a pure heart, guess what? Your conversations change. Your words change. Your thoughts change. Your actions change. Everything about your life changes when you're focused on having a pure heart. Because there's a lot of things in this world that will not cause you to have a pure heart. You just open up social media and whoop, there's an image. The heart's not pure right now. But there's so many things that are pulling at us that will cause you not to have a pure heart. But Paul says in verse 5, the purpose of his letters or his instructions is that all believers will be filled with love that comes from a pure heart. How do you get a, a, a pure heart? It's motivated by love. But not just any love. It's motivated by a love for God, a love for Jesus Christ. Because the more that your heart is driven to be in love with him, the more that you desire to have a pure heart. You see, one thing about David was David, he got in trouble, and we know about that. But David had a pure heart before God, and he knew how to get his heart right before God. He knew how to worship and go back and repent and say, God, please don't take your presence away from me. Please don't, stop, don't, don't let me do anything that will stifle your presence from me. What is that? Because he desired to have a pure heart. You can't have love and a pure heart if anger and unforgiveness is in your heart. One of the quickest ways to not have a pure heart is to be controlled by anger and unforgiveness. You know, anger is an emotion that's easy, accessible. That is an emotion that you, you can get to like that. Someone could just say one word and now you're angry. You were having the best day of your life, something happened, now you're angry. And when you're controlled by the anger, anger, you're not thinking about anything pure. You think about evil intentions. You're trying to think about revenge. You how, how can I hurt them like they hurt me? How can I get them back for what they did to me? Now, that doesn't sound like a pure heart at all. But when we have anger and unforgiveness in our heart, we're not thinking about anything pure. And we allow the enemy to control our hearts. And he calls the shots. We said, well, the devil doesn't control me. But when you let that anger in, guess who's controlling you? It's not you. It's the enemy. And we have to make sure that, God, I'm doing everything that I can to make sure that I have a pure heart. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, it says, Therefore I, 
a prisoner of serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, make an allowance for each other's faults because of your what? Your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope and future. In order to have a pure heart, you got to walk in love. Love is the only thing that will cause you to make allowance for each, other, each other's faults. Because people will do things that are going to go against you. That's just a part of it. But we have to make a decision in our hearts that I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to walk in humility. I'm going to walk in patience towards my brother and sister because I know that they're not going to be perfect. I know I'm not going to be perfect. And the same mercy and grace that I'm going to show them, I'm going to need that myself. And when our heart is motivated by like that, that's what, that helps me walk with a pure heart. And a pure heart is a heart that God defends. One thing I know about God, if your heart is pure, God will defend you. When your heart is not pure, I mean, all bets are off. God can still defend you. But one thing I know for sure is when your heart is pure, God will defend you. So you don't need to go on Facebook and social media trying to defend yourself if your heart is pure because God is your defender. That's one thing I love about seeking God for a pure heart is because I know, hey, even if I mess up and my intentions were pure, God will defend me. But if my intentions and my attitudes and my thoughts and my actions or not pure, then I can't expect God to defend me because, hey, now I'm giving foothold, a, a, a foothold for the enemy to come in. But if my heart is pure and my motives are pure, then guess what? God can say, you know what? Even though you messed up, I will protect you because your heart was pure. Now y'all see the importance of why it is to have a pure heart? It's the one of the big threes. We need a pure heart. And a pure heart is not something that the world says, I'm going to. I never heard anybody in the world say, you know what? Today, I'm going to desire a pure heart. I'm going to pursue a pure heart today. No, the world is trying to pursue everything that's going to satisfy them. And a lot of things that satisfy them is not things that cause a pure heart. It causes greed. It causes pride. It causes selfishness. And all those things don't lead to a what? A pure heart. So Paul, he warns Timothy, he says, the instruction of these letters is that believers everywhere will be motivated out of love for a pure heart. He desires believers everywhere to have a pure heart. That's the first one of the big three. Paul desires for all of us to have a pure heart, motivated by love. But he didn't just stop there. He moved to the second one. And the second one, you can write this down, is a clear conscience. A clear conscience. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result... They are, their faith has been shipwrecked. A quick way to shipwreck your faith is not to have a clear conscience. Because when you don't have a clear conscience, boy, that just messes up everything in your life. Everything that you do, you have no peace. There's always an inner struggle. There's always inner turmoil. There's always something going on the inside of you when you don't have a clear conscience. You can't think properly. You can't make solid decisions, all because something is eating you up on the inside and you can't find peace. Not having a clear conscience is one of the most torturing things there is. 
Because when your conscience isn't clear, whoo, boy, you talk about a miserable person. And you try to find everything to bring you relief. Well, maybe I'll just do this. And maybe I'll go do that. And you do all these things to try to clear your conscience, but it doesn't work. It's like nothing that you seem to do will, will cause you to have a clear conscience. And when you don't have a clear conscience, what it will do is it will make you run from anything that reminds you of God or God's people. When you're conscious, because what it does is it reminds you that you're off. So you say, you know what? I can't be forced to be around anyone that will cause me to realize that my conscience is not clear, that will cause me to say, I need God. So I don't, so I don't want that because my conscience isn't clear. So I'm going to run from God and anything that reminds me of God's people. So I'm not going to church because I don't want to feel bad. I don't want to go to prayer because I don't want to feel condemned because I'm going to feel convicted. So I know they're going to be talking about things that I need to do, but because my conscience isn't clear, oh, I can't take that. I can't handle it. I don't want to hear that. I remember when I wasn't saved, there was a guy in the church. I was, isn't it crazy? You go to church, you're still not saved. That was me. I would go to church every Sunday because my mom made me go. And there was this guy. Every time he would see me, he would say, hey, Mario, come here. Let me talk to you for a second. I want to invite you to small group. And I'm like, I don't want to go to your small group. Because, because I don't want to talk about God because I'm not living like that. And it's making me feel bad. That's, I'm thinking that in my head. And uh, I'm thinking that in my head. I'm not telling him. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's great. Sounds good. And so every time I would see him, I would purposely try to run. But somehow he would always walk me down. Hey, Mario, how you doing? Good to see you. And then I remember one time I finally went. I said, you know what? I'm tired of this dude inviting me to small group. I'm just going to show up. And I went one time, and I remember, I don't even remember what the message was about, but I just remember my heart was beating the whole time because I was like, I know what they're saying is true. It was just my conscience was in a place that it was not clear that I couldn't receive it because I can only think about what was going on on the inside of me instead of doing the one thing that could have found me freedom was surrender. I couldn't do it because of pride. All the things that a pure heart would say, you need to surrender. But because I didn't have a pure heart, I couldn't have a clear conscience. All these things work together. If you have a clear heart, a pure heart, you will have a clear conscience. But when your heart's not pure, you won't have a clear conscience. And so for years, I ran from that dude until I finally got saved. And now he's one of my best friends. He was in my wedding. But he was relentless in pursuing me and saying, hey, you need to come to small group. And when you have friends like that in your life, you don't push them away. Those are the ones you need to embrace because they have your best interest at heart. Not the ones that's going to say, hey, let's go party and, and get drunk all the time and do things that's going to cause your clear conscience to get worse. But you need to rely and cling to people that's going to draw you and draw you closer to God. That's going to encourage you in the things of God. That says, hey, I've been noticing something just looks like, what's going on? I can tell something's not right. And then you can begin to share what's going on. Because the only way to get a clear conscience is to surrender and repent. You have to do both. You have to surrender and you have to repent and surrender. Because you can repent, but if you don't surrender, guess what? You're going to go right back to it. So you have to repent and surrender from the, whatever the turmoil is that's keeping you from having a clear conscience. So now you have a pure heart and a clear conscience, so now you don't feel ashamed about whatever it is that's going on inside of you. Now you can say, God, here I am. Use me. Here I am, God. Speak to me. But until you get to the place where you have a pure heart and a clear conscience, you'll never ask God to speak to you. 
Because you feel like whatever God speaks to you is going to be mean. Oh, God, he's just picking on me. God, he's going he's to be so mad at me for what I've done. He's going to say, why have you fallen away from me? And you feel like God's going to bop you over the head and be me. That's not God at all. Well, that's not the God I serve. But a clear conscience will tell you that's, the, that's who God is. That's not who God is. He desires you to have a pure heart and a clean conscience. Amen? A clear conscience. The third thing that Paul says that we should aspire to have is a genuine faith. A genuine faith. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers will be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. When you have a genuine faith, you are quick to believe because your heart is pure. A pure heart is quick to believe, which leads to a genuine faith. You know, a genuine faith is truly quick to believe. But the issue is that we live in a skeptical world. You can go on YouTube right now and find a video for anything that you want to find on why such and such is not true. There are a million videos out there. I'll prove to you why Jesus Christ is not real. I'll prove to you why human life is ending next week. Like, there's so many videos out there. You can, and people go crazy just talk, read, uh, watching YouTube videos about the, just, just skeptical of everything. Just anything you want to think about, you can find a YouTube video and people will say, this is why this is not true. And so what happens is, by nature, we become skeptics ourselves. So when people come with us in love of God, we say, what do they really want from me? I know you're sharing this about God, but what are you really trying to get from me? What do you really, and we're skeptical of everything, and it's caused us not to be quick to believe. So instead of being quick to believe, we're quick to be skeptical. Let me just, I don't really know what their motives are, so let me, just, let me just see a little bit. Or what they're saying, is it really true? Because you've been hurt so much, so now you don't trust people. Trust issues will cause you to be skeptical and not quick to believe. That doesn't come from a genuine faith. A genuine faith is quick to believe. You go overseas right now, and you go to a big revival meeting, and you say, hey, if you have a sickness in your body, and you believe that Jesus can heal you, just lift your hands, and miracles happen all over the place by the thousands. Why is that? Because they have a genuine faith that's quick to believe, and God is quick to respond to that. But here, we have so many doctors and medications that you say, we have a sickness in your body. Well, I'll just go to the doctor, and they'll prescribe something, and I'll be okay. First thing, we don't even think about prayer anymore. We just say, well, you know what? And thank God for doctors, because we need doctors. We need medicine. I'm not saying don't do any of those things, because we do. But the point is, we can't be so skeptical that we don't believe that God can still perform miracles. But a genuine faith says, God, I believe that my situation that I'm in, you can turn it around. And I'm quick to believe. God, I believe you could, you could change that family member. You could save that family member. I believe, God, I'm quick to believe. But that only comes from a faith that is genuine. A genuine faith is quick to believe. And you just begin to ask yourself, what areas in your faith have you not been quick to believe? That you've just been doubt to believe because a little time has gone by. And you say, God, I hadn't seen any results in this area. Can you really do what your word says it will do? That doesn't, that's not a genuine faith. But the enemy is after your faith. He wants you to be skeptical of everything, especially things that come to, 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 uh, to God. He wants you to be skeptical and to question everything about God's word, 
everything about God's people, everything about the, the kingdom of God. He wants you to be skeptical and question everything because he knows the more that you're skeptical and the more you question, you'll never believe in it. And the more you don't believe in it, he'll, oh, I don't have to worry about them now because they don't believe in it. They're not going to be a part of it because they don't trust it. Why is that? Because they don't have a genuine faith. But that's why Paul was warning us, have a genuine faith. Because a genuine faith comes from a pure heart that is quick to believe. But if you don't have a pure heart and your conscience isn't clear, you will not have a genuine faith. All these three, they align. That's why it's the big three. All three go together. You want to have a genuine faith? You got to have a pure heart. You got to have a clear conscience to be quick to believe. Because the enemy is after your faith. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7 it says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. Did it say these blessings? Did it say that these things that you overcome? It says these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, through how many trials? Many. many. Did it say one or two? How many is many? Many. I don't know. Just know it's many of them. <laughs> it's clear as day. It says it right here in God's word. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have not seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. What is that? That's a genuine faith. That's a genuine faith. So trials are not here to discourage us. They're to show that our faith is genuine. Because it's easy to believe when things are going great. It's easy. Why do you, because think about it, why do you need God when things are going good? When you have everything that you need, all the money, all your, what, truly, why is there a need to have God? Oh, but let one thing go wrong. God, I need you. God, you got to step in. God, why is that? Because now that things aren't going good, now you need them. But the goal is to know this, that whether things are good or bad, God, I need you. Whether I'm in a trial or I'm in a season of favor, God, I need you. But that only comes through walking through many trials because it teaches you to trust in God even when you don't realize what's going on. But so many times the enemy uses these trials to shipwreck people's faith to cause them to say, God, see, I trusted you and you didn't come through. I prayed for my mother to be healed and she didn't make it. God, I prayed for my father to be delivered and he's not delivered. God, I prayed for this and it didn't come true. Your word is not true. You don't care about me. Because if you did, how could a loving God allow this to happen? What is that? The enemy shipwrecking your faith. Because trials are to show that your faith is genuine. It's to help you grow stronger in your faith. Not to discourage you, but what we do is we focus on the trials and let it discourage us. Paul is saying, let the trials strengthen your faith. Let the trials make you grow stronger. Because if you want to have a genuine faith and you want to receive a reward at the end, the reward is the salvation of your soul. 
That's greater than any reward you will ever receive here on earth. When you stand before God and God can say, you stood fast in every trial that you faced. Face. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come enter into your rest forever. Boy, you know what kind of feeling that's going to be. But what if you just give up on every trial and you stand before God and says, this is all I had for you. All you had to do was just trust me. You can still come in, but I had so much more for you. I don't want to hear those words. I mean, you're still getting in. But oh, it's so much better when you walk through the trials that God has for you with a genuine faith here on earth. When you do that, God, I'm telling you, the reward you receive in heaven is worth anything you receive here on earth. Because all this stuff is going to fade away anyway. But what you do will last for eternity. All the trials you face are not even just for you. They're for other people as well. Because people can walk, see you walk through things and they say, you know what? If she walked through that, I can walk through that too. You can gain strength by watching other people walk through difficult times. You know, they didn't quit and give up. I'm not going to quit and give up either. But you have to have a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. That's the big three, y'all. Those are the big three things that we all should aspire to have in our Christian walk. And when we hear people like Paul was trying to uh, warn Timothy, when we hear people that are contrary to these things, we run. And we tell them, stop talking about the things that you're talking about because they're not the truth or the word of God. That's what he was trying to get Timothy to realize. He was saying, Timothy, these three things, a pure heart, a clear conscience, a genuine faith, anybody that's speaking against these things that are causing people to run away from him, that is not the truth of God at all. Stop them from speaking right now. Silence them or don't even entertain them. So for us, it will be don't even entertain them. Don't entertain anything that will cause these three things in your life to be tainted, to be compromised. A pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. We say, well, how do I get these things? And let me go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2. I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, it says, I'm writing Timothy, my true son in faith. May God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. God's grace, mercy, and peace will allow you to have those three things, a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. God's grace, his mercy, and his peace. Because his grace and mercy will give you a pure heart and a clean conscience. And when you have a genuine faith, guess what he's going to give you? peace. That's how you get those things. When you repent and you surrender, God's mercy, his grace, and his peace will come upon you to give you a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. Amen? Amen. Come on, y'all give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. I know that's a simple message, but it's an important message. Those are three things we all should aspire to have. Y'all bow your heads and, and close your eyes. Lord, I just thank you right now for speaking to our hearts. I thank you right now that we would desire more than anything to have a pure heart, Lord, that our hearts are pure before you, our motives, our desires, our actions, our conversations, everything that we do, Lord, that they're pure before you. I thank you for a clear conscience. I thank you, Lord, that we could sleep in peace at night knowing that our conscience is clear. And if there's anything in our heart that is causing our conscience not to be clear, that 
we would surrender and repent to you, Lord God, that we would lay those things down for a clear conscience. And I thank you, Lord, for a genuine faith. I thank you that the trials that we face are not to discourage us or not to shipwreck our faith, but to make us stronger and to cause us to trust in you, the invisible God. Even though we don't see you, we trust in you. And I thank you that as we walk through many trials, as your word says, that our faith will become stronger, that we would have a genuine faith in Jesus' name. Amen. You can keep your head bowed and your eye closed. And I just want to give one final invitation for those that maybe you're watching online, you're in the room and talking about a, a genuine faith. You would say, well, here you're talking about that. I don't, I don't have a genuine faith when it comes to God. Matter of fact, I don't have a relationship with God. And I just want to give you an open invitation today to receive Jesus in your heart. I'm not going to try to persuade you. I'm not going to try to beg you because I believe the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart now. So if you want to come in right relationship with the God, you want to know the one and true living God, the one that will never leave you nor forsake you, the one that willingly laid down his life for you, Jesus Christ. If you want to come into right relationship with him, I want to give you an invitation to receive him in your heart today. So with no one looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want you to lift your hand when I count to three to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. When I count to three, just lift your hand. One, two, three. Lift your hand. If you want Jesus to come to your heart, lift your hand. Amen. Amen. I see your hand. Three hands just went up. I thank you for that. You can put your hands down. And I want everyone just to put their hand over their heart. You online, you watching with us, you can join in as well. Jesus Christ. Repeat this after me. Say, Jesus Christ. Thank you for forgiving me for all of my sin. And today, this Sunday morning, I pray that you would give me a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. And I thank you for your mercy, your grace, and your peace. Help me to live a life that is pleasing to you. I repent of my sin. I'll lay it down, and I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, y'all give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Man, there's always should be joy in your heart when one person comes to know the Lord. Amen. Amen. If you're online and you made a decision to follow Christ, just drop a comment in the comment section. Let us know that you uh, received God. We love to pray for you this week. But also, if you're in a room, there's a seat uh, in the seat back in front of you. There's a card that says, let's connect. Fill that out. Let us know that you made a decision and uh, drop it off in the offering bucket on the one during offering time. And we love to connect with you during this week. Come on, let's give it up one more time for those that made a decision to follow Christ. It's the greatest decision that you will ever make. Uh, before we close, just a few announcements. Uh, we love for you to join us this Wednesday, 630 for prayer. We'll be right here for prayer at 630. And also, if you're prepared to give, there's a couple ways you could do that. You could go to our website at newlifemobile.org. There's a tab on the homepage. Click the link that says give. You can give there. You can download our app. You can give on our app. Or you can go to our Facebook page or our uh, website, get our address, and you can mail in a check that way as well. Well, we love you guys. Thank you for tuning in with us this week. 
We'd love to see you this Wednesday for prayer at 6.30. If not then, we'll see you this Saturday. I'm sorry, next Sunday at 10 a.m. You guys have a great week. We love y'all. God bless you.